Giannis Antetokounmpo is answering all of the critics in the NBA and from up close only. Plus, we're looking at the NBA draft from the numbers and the numbers only. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan. Here on July 12th, uh, this is not the ideal circumstance for me. I'm uh, on the road. Uh, my daughter's playing in a golf tournament, and the hotel internet is um, not good. I can't get the video up, can't hold the internet, um, so suboptimal. And so a little different this week. We'll just be trying to find a way to make it work and, and give you good shows and, and figure out a way to uh, put it all together. So it's a little, little different than usual um, here is unfortunately uh, not everything uh, working perfectly. But that's not your problem, so let me see what I can do. So obviously the big story is Giannis. Um, and, you know, his shot chart is just ridiculous last night. And the fact that he can get to the basket and is getting the basket at that rate uh, is just incredible. And, uh, he, you know, he's just, uh, this, it's really a great story because, you know, honestly, I, amongst others have made the comment kind of thinking that Giannis was like Rudy and that was, he was a brilliant player. He helped you win a lot of games. He did remarkable things. He changed the game on both ends of the floor. And yet if you were going to win a title, you were going to have to have somebody else on your roster. And Back-to-back 40-point double-doubles. Um, you know, 14 of 23 shooting last night without a shot outside that goes in outside of five feet and maybe only one of them on the shot chart outside of three feet. Um, anything outside of the middle, he was 0 for 2 on his threes. He took one, three, three long twos. He was 0 for 3, and he was 3 on kind of 8 to 12 footers and yet still is able to dominate the game. I do wonder... If we get a close game, right, this was not a particularly close game. Bucks won it by 20, you know, with 10 minutes left. They were up uh, in the third. They were up 12, and then they, they kind of went on a nice, it was, you know, eight-point game, and then they go on a, a burst right at the end of the third quarter um, in which they suddenly are up by 22, and this thing's done. Um, I do think that, you know, to some extent of what I said earlier, that, that Chris Middleton is going to have to be the one if this gets to a close game late. The the advantage Phoenix has, though we haven't had that real game yet, if we have a close game late to me, is that Chris Paul conducts, makes the plays, does what he needs to do, controls the game in a manner that I don't think that Giannis um, can do, and I don't think really that Chris Middleton um, can do as well. That end of third quarter lineup was interesting. It was Giannis with Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, and Jeff Teague. And as you watch the kind of adjustments that are happening in this series, there's there's he uh, Bobby Portis comes in, and so Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez played every minute of the night. Like the two of them, I think, combined almost perfectly, except for the final seconds of the first half. So that either Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez. Um, was on the floor other than maybe there was a little stint in the third quarter. Actually, I take that back, about a five-minute stint um, in the third quarter in which the Bucks went without one of their two bigs, and they actually got beat up. 
you know, this series has taken some interesting twists and turns because you, you felt after game one that Brook Lopez had been played off the floor, that Milwaukee was going to have to switch one through five the whole time, that they would play with, have to play without Brook and play without Portis, and that Giannis was going to have to be their center, and then they would get thin that way. And interestingly enough is when they went to that small lineup in the third quarter the other night, um, it, it didn't work. They went for it, They went to it for a brief minute in the first quarter, in the first half, for about a minute and a half, and they were minus two. Then they went for it for an extended stretch in the third quarter, and they were minus six. So in a game in which, you know, they won by 20, they were scored, outscored by eight in those brief moments in which they had no Brooke Lopez and no Bobby Portis on the floor. But in the minutes where they had Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis on the floor, I think they turned out to be about a plus 25 for the night. Lopez six and Portis 19. It's worth keeping an eye on. Like, I think the rotations and who's able to play and who's not are certainly, you know, as this series evolves, going to, as with every series, um, going to be a, a really interesting piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, Mikel Bridges did not have as big an impact as he's had on some other games. Um, for Phoenix, surprisingly, he's, you know, kind of been thought of as their third guy. And he only got four shots off after that very aggressive driving game. You know, is that an adjustment? Did he just have an off night? Obviously, Booker wasn't as good last night um, going 3 of 14. Um, and Drew Holiday had a pretty good game. So it'll be interesting to see the days off as we don't play again until Wednesday. Curious to know who's to whose advantage that is. So on one level, Chris Paul, older, when he's been sharp and had time, um, he's been absolutely outstanding. Um, on the on the flip side of this is that when you know Giannis has still got that knee, and so any time in which he has, um, it's going to be able to help him uh, immensely. And so I'm not sure whose advantage I have. I, I think this is still the Sun series, only out of just the simple math part of things, that it's awfully hard to go win, you know, beat a team four out of five games and indirectly, not indirectly, exactly. That's what Milwaukee has to do, and I think that's too much um, for them to, to figure out in this game. You know, Phoenix um, did win, as, as I kind of said in a previous conversation, was, you know, what, what's going to happen here is it in the way I think, I do think this is how, games and playoff series are working now. It's how the Jazz a little bit worked with the the Clippers. Is so, so game two, Phoenix wins on a shooting game. Game one, both teams shot somewhat similarly, um, and Phoenix won that ballgame. And that that's the game that I stand back to. The, the 20 for 43-point shooting game that Phoenix had, you're, you're not going to have again. But in game two, game one of the series, like their quantitative shot quality wasn't great. In fact, it was about five percentage points less than, um, oh, excuse me, last night. Um, Phoenix's shot quality wasn't great. It was about five percentage points less than Milwaukee's. Milwaukee's quantified shot quality from second spectrum was a 55%, and Phoenix was 50. That's a pretty big difference. Milwaukee's getting much, much better shots. Um, last night, both teams shot about kind of their game. Phoenix shot uh, three percentage points above Milwaukee shot just right on average. So there's not, so at some point here, you would suspect, and similar to game one of the series, by the way, where Milwaukee didn't get as good a shots as Phoenix did. Phoenix had a better shot quality uh, on the game, and then they both shot about the same. Um, this one's a little different in, in two sense, in two ways here. One is that Milwaukee got much better shot quality, um, and so there's been a big switch in kind of the quality of shots that, the, the, that they're getting compared to um, 
Phoenix is getting. Phoenix uh, actually got to the rim a little bit more than they did in game two when they just didn't go to the rim at all. Um, and and then they haven't had their outlier shooting game. So I suspect that we're going to see Milwaukee maybe in game four, maybe in game five, which would be Phoenix's biggest nightmare, that Milwaukee's going to have their outlier shooting game and then we're going to play the series the rest of the way and we'll see how it how it all plays out. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross as well as in Logan. The Chevy family and Murdoch's have been together for 90 years in Utah, uh, bringing you the Americana that is the Chevy, the Silverado truck, the Colorado truck, the best trucks on the market, the best made trucks on the market, as well as the SUV lineup that is vastly underrated uh, for you with the Traverse, the tracks on each end within the middle of the new Blazer and the Trailblazer. It's all at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also in Logan. Feel free to stop by. Please email me first if you have a chance. Um, we'd love to have you uh, stop by and be a part of it. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like an energy bar. Excuse me, a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Protein bar with their incredible macros, uh, doing amazing things. And the grasshopper cookie is still available, at least as early in the morning as I am doing this. The grasshopper cookie is still available for you. It is the thin mint cookie flavor, basically, of with cookie bites in it for you. So check it out. Go to BuiltBar.com. Hopefully you have not missed out on the great opportunity to get the 100% real chocolate, 100% free delicious Built Bar. Right now they've got a free gift with all of your purchases, which I believe is the cooler. So I'll check it out. That cooler is worth like 15 bucks, and it's really cool. It comes with two ice packs that let you take your Built Bars on the road. Grasshopper Cookie is still available, so jump right now. Get a free built travel cooler as well with every bar purchase. It's all at builtbar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off. So every year at this point of the draft, I have not watched the players. Um, I'll start digging in here in the next few days, start watching some players and sharing them with you. And what I do is I break down their numbers and it's not foolproof, um, but it's actually been better than I would have thought. So I broke, I break down their numbers into four categories, athleticism, playmaking, shooting, and creating. So the athleticism, I believe, shows in two different numbers, your ability to finish in transition and your isolation numbers, okay? Your playmaking is what you're doing with the ball in pick and roll. That's just simply, or whether you're, you know, whether you're a big man, you're rolling. You're shooting, I look up, and some of these cross over each other, but we look up spot up percentage, percentile, catch and shoot ability. Then I'm interested in unguarded catch and shoot, because as the draft kind of goes down, some of those guys might be unguarded. Cade Cunningham you know, isn't going to get a lot of unguarded catch and shoots, and he didn't last year either. But I sometimes think the unguarded catch and shoot number says thing. And then creating is how much you can get your shot off off the dribble um, and uh, what your percentage of that is. And those are usually pretty low. So we've done this now for three years. And it's been an interesting... Um, you know, it's been an interesting thing. I, I, the first year, we just did um, the first 
21 players in the draft. And in retrospect, I'd actually like to maybe go back and do more and see what we can, what we can discover. Uh, in, but, you know, just that's the Zion Williams, Ja Morant. And so, you know, Zion was in the 92nd percentile in transition. Ja Morant was in the 76th. Other players in that draft who, like, peaked out on athleticism were Jackson Hayes and DeAndre Hunter, um, who I think was having a fabulous year this year before. Brandon Clark peaked out out of Memphis, who was a later pick and turned out to be true. Rui Hashimura, who's been probably better than people realize, and Tyler Hero. So pretty interesting. Of that pick, like Cam Reddish has been kind of a dud so far in that pick offensively. He was only in the 38th percentile of players in transition percentile. So that's, you know, that was kind of a red flag. Kobe White was only in the 41st percentile. So that was a little bit of a red flag. And Romeo Langford was only in the 29th. So of those players, those guys didn't kind of peak out on athleticism um, scales. On the pick and roll end of things, interestingly, Giannis was the best. Actually, Giannis, Zion was the best that there was of anyone available um, in that draft. The next guys that were great were DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, um, limited opportunities here, um, and, and then Tyler Hero. And Hero obviously has turned out to be um, absolutely terrific. Um, not a lot of opportunities, but that jumped. The guys that you know weren't as good, R.J. Barrett was pretty mediocre. Kobe White was pretty mediocre in the 50th percentile. Kevin Porter Jr. was only in the 38th. Nasir Little, who was basically hasn't shown much of anything other than just being, you know, is in the 18th percentile. Um, Cameron Johnson was only in the 43rd percentile of playmaking. That's probably still accurate. So those numbers seem to parlay. Then the shooting numbers, and you look at, like, who was great in that draft, and we'll look at the next draft as well. Today we're really just trying to set this up for future episodes. Um, you know, of the shooting, Ja Morant was actually surprisingly good in the 77th percentile um, overall and in the um, – and his unguarded shooting was was pretty good for a player who wasn't thought of a shooter. R.J. Barrett was only average. DeAndre Hunter came out really well. DeAndre Hunter peaked out on our numbers. Um, he was in the 90th percentile in catch and shoot. He was in the 76th percentile in spot up. He, 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 you know, I think he's still going to be great. Kobe White was a terrific spot up shooter, particu- particularly good unguarded um, shooter. Jarrett Culver was not. And he has really struggled in the NBA. His numbers told you that there was something there. Cam Reddish was not. 33rd percentile in spot up. Uh, 53rd percentile in catch and shoot unguarded. 40, uh, 27th percentile in overall catch and shoot. Not surprising Cam Reddish can't shoot. Um, P.J. Washington in Charlotte was in the 85th percentile of shooting. Nazar Little was in the 22nd. Romeo Langford was in the 42nd. So some of these things actually are pretty revealing here. Cameron Johnson was brilliant. He was in the 97th percentile across the board in shooting. Um, Grant Williams was average. Rui Hashimura was better than people realized. was in the 93rd percentile. Keldon Johnson pretty good. And Tyler Hero was very good. So I, I think you're you're seeing a little bit. And then the, the off-the-bounce game um, was – Interesting because Zion looked terrible. Um, I'm still not sure he can make a shot off the bounce on a jumper. DeAndre Hunter did not look as was not. That was his weakness. Kobe White, that was his weakness, too, in the 27th percentile. Um, And Cam Reddish was actually okay at it. And so, you know, that's gone the other way. Um, Nasir Little was not. uh, Romeo Langford 
was only four of 26 and guarded catch and shoots in college and, and did take a lot of shots off the bounce. That's, and he still might be okay. Cameron Johnson was better than people realized. Rui Hashimura was good and Tyler Hero was great. So in the 2019 numbers, you know, kind of showed a little bit for those players last year. And it's really hard to still tell, like, cause I don't know that we know if any of the players in the early going of the draft are, are a bust or not, but, and we didn't have numbers on LaMelo, but James Wiseman, Tyrese Halliburton, Obi Topham, Devin Vassell, Sadiq Bay, and Aaron Naismith were all elite level athleticism finishing in transition. And Naismith, Cole Anthony, and um, Isaac Okoro did that in isolation as well. Um, again, I think it's too early to know whether any of these guys are busts or not, and so it's hard to tell, but it's not maybe surprising on um, how some of it. Anthony Edwards came out as an elite athlete and turned out to be really good. Pick and roll. Um, in limited time, Patrick Williams was better in just 26 attempts was great. He turned out to be a way better player than anyone anticipated. His, um, though his transition numbers were really bad at Florida State, so I was worried on him. The player that maybe the numbers hit on last year was Sadiq Bey, because my eyeballs did not hit on Sadiq Bey, and the numbers did. He was in the 93rd percentile in transition. He was in the 88th percentile in pick-and-roll ball handling. He was in the 98th percentile in spot-up. He was in the 98th percentile in catch-and-shoot. He was in the 95th percentile. The only thing he didn't do was hit the jumper off the bounce um, particularly well. Aaron Naismith did come out pretty well in a bunch of these numbers, so or Neesmith, so it'll be interesting to see whether once he's through his injuries in Boston, um, whether he comes together. Uh, and again, Josh Green wasn't great, didn't have a great year. It's, it's hard to tell, right? Like Ty, Terrell Terry was only okay, didn't have a great year. Nico Mannion, you know, was 24th on the draft. So, um, you know, probably too early to tell and on this, this class to be able to make a lot of observations. Desmond Bain was great on the numbers, and he had a fabulous um, year. Uh, if you're if in Memphis, so, you know, there was probably one where the numbers said that Desmond Bain was a, if you went back through Desmond Bain, he was in the 97th percentile in isolation. He was in the 85th percentile in pick-and-roll ball handling. He was in the 90th percentile in spot-up. Um, he was old, and he was in the 95th percentile off dribble per, uh off the dribble shooting. He he was the he and Sadiq Bey were the two best numbers players in the draft last year. Um and I would say he had a, a pretty fabulous year. Um and you know, I don't know if there's anyone else that um you would look at and Peyton Pritchard, who had a pretty good year in Boston, was in the eighty first percentile in transition, telling you his athleticism was good was good. He was in the eighty ninth percentile in pick and roll ball handling. He was in the ninety third percentile in spot up, ninetieth percentile in catch and shoot. 88th percentile on unguarded percentile and 71st percentile off the dribble bounce. So he was pretty darn good. Um, and Danny Ainge nailed it on, on him. Emmanuel quickly, who had a great year in Boston, or New York out of nowhere, was 80th percentile in transition, the best isolation player in 26 attempts, 85th percentile in pick and roll ball handling. Um, just an average shooter, but not bad. He was in the 84th percentile in spot up and 60th percentile in catch and shoot. And off the dribble, he was the best off the bounce shooter in the league, in the draft. So I would say that in two years of doing this, by the time we get through all the players, and I haven't gotten through all of them yet, um, we did 50 players last year. And, and I would say that what we really found was some of the, the Isaiah, the Emmanuel Quickleys, the Peyton Pritchards, the Desmond Bain, um, maybe even Sadiq Bay players who uh, did not um, did not like peak out uh, naturally 
from their eyeball test that then turned out to be better. So it may be, you know, we'll find out Tyler Hero look very good on these numbers as we do it more. Um, so we'll look at uh, the top picks of, of this year's draft and, and how they look and what it, um, what it means going forward and try to kind of give an analysis of is there anyone out there that we think, and then we'll do a few players every day and then move our way down uh, to getting to the players that are kind of in the jazz range at 30. Um, I have been offered a trade for our ultimate mock draft, and I want to know what you guys would do with it. We'll talk about that when we come back on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag. The NBA odds keep flipping around with Giannis pulling off. Hopefully you had some. There was a quite a Euro final and a, a great event in uh uh, South America's Argentina, I believe, beat Brazil. I'm not a big soccer guy, but that was the that was the events of the weekend. So pretty exciting stuff. All Star Game is up, by the way. National League is a run and a half favorite over the American League um, for the All Star Game, and the Home Run Derby will be up as well. USA plays Australia today in a international friendly after losing to Nigeria, and they are a 15 and a half point favorite. Joe Ingles had a big game the other day. Rudy Gobert did um, had a, had a nice game as well. Um, um, the Bucks are a four-point favorite for Game Four, and the series is now Suns minus two fifty-five and the Bucks plus two fifteen. That's all at BetOnline.ag. Use the pro- welcome code uh, promo code Locked On and get a fifty percent welcome bonus. All right, let's start looking at some of these numbers of the marquee players in the league. So, Cade Cunningham is everyone's number one pick after his freshman year. Um, in at Oklahoma State, it, it seems you know, like there's no chance he's going to bust or or not make it. He was he was that outstanding. Um, everyone seems to be universally accepted, and so I think on some circumstances like this, you might decide that you're not going to, you know, you're not really going to worry about a player's numbers. But we're still going to look at it, and then maybe we'll end up worrying after some time of whether or not um, it turns out that any of these players you know, might not be, be all that. So Cade Cunningham's numbers are not incredible. He's 42nd percentile in transition. He's 87th percentile in isolation, which is great. He's 62nd percentile in pick and roll uh, ball handler percentage, which is good. He's 67th percentile in spot up, which is good. He's 90th percentile in catch and shoot, which is incredible. He's not actually great on unguarded. He only went nine of 23, but doesn't get very many. And he's 65th percentile in off the bounce dribble. He took 148, which was the second most of anyone through the top 20 picks that I've been able to find um, so far. He um, really just, uh, that's an incredible number. And that tells you that he just has a, a Ability to create and make plays that other guys do not. Um, Elijah Hughes actually was high on that list last year of being able to make the play. So Cunningham actually doesn't peak out in, in any way, shape, or form, but he's actually just good enough that um, you wouldn't worry. Like, there's no red flag in there in any way. So for the first time ever, we have to use G League numbers, and so I have the you know 15 games that Jalen Green played in G League Ignite. Ignite. Some of these are pretty interesting. He's in the 96th percentile in transition it's pretty good he's only in the 20th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler so he only scored 26 percent of his times on pick and roll ball handling his spot up is in the 82nd percentile staying sorry staying on theme though his let's start with athleticism first he's in the 96th percentile in transition and 61st percentile in isolation so 
Um, I think that's pretty good, particularly G League. I would guess those defenders are pretty darn good. Pick and roll ball handling, though, as we said, he just he really struggled. He was in the 20th percentile. Um, spot up shooting, he's pretty good. He's in the 82nd percentile. His catch and shoot's not as great. He's in the 50th percentile, but that could also be that his guarded catch and shoot with guys coming at him faster, playing at a higher level in the G League, he was 9 of 36. This is where I think unguarded catch and shoot matters. And his unguarded catch and shoot was in the 91st percentile of all G League players, going 10 of 20 from on those, in those 12 games and hitting uh, an effective field goal percentage of 75%. And then on shots off the dribble, in 16 games, he was able to get off 61 of them. He was in the 56th percentile so again same thing i would kind of say Cade cunningham jalen green they, neither of them like jump out to you and say like oh my gosh he's amazing um but those guys probably have so much attention to them and what they're doing and all the things they are doing that they, they may not be able to be um as amazing in that circumstance let's stay in g league elite elite just so that we have the comparison because i think this is super interesting um jonathan kamunga so we just did Jalen Green. He's in like the 90th percentile in athleticism. and da, da, da. So Jonathan Kamunga is in the 16th percentile of all transition. And, and then isolation, he's in the 23rd percentile. So a guy who everyone thinks of and talks about as this athlete, not sure. Like his athleticism is not parlaying in his G League elite minutes to anything that shows you that he has those kind of skills. As a pick-and-roll ball handler, in in the 13 G League Ignite games he played, he did very little with the pick-and-roll. Now, he was good at it, so that's worth noting, but it was like about once a game um, from that standpoint. From a shooting standpoint, Kamunga's uh, spot-up is in the 23rd percentile overall. His catch-and-shoot game's in the 20th percentile. His unguarded catch-and-shoot game is in the 30th percentile, and his off-the-bounce creating is in the 20th percentile. Now, we have not had enough G League elite numbers to really know, but to me, though, that's like a collection of red flag numbers right there, more so than anything else uh, we will see. So that's a sample of some of the stuff that we're looking at and trying to get done. Um, and we'll continue. We'll look at Evan Mobley and Jalen Suggs and um, uh, some more as we move on. Actually, let's quickly just do Mobley, and then we'll wrap this up for you. Uh, Mobley is in the eight, is a little different as a big. So he's in the 81st percentile in transition, perfect. 72nd percentile and 35 isolation taps, really good. He actually ran about 15, 20 pick and rolls and was in the 85th percentile. Like, holy smokes, what is this guy going to be capable to do with his size? As a roll man, he was in the 65th percentile. And then you get into um, his spot-up game, he's in the 70th percentile. Catch and shoot as a big man, he's in the 48th percentile, and his um, unguarded catch and shoots in the 68th percentile. Then this is incredible. His off the bounce dribble game is in the 78th percentile. I'm just going to say I've run the numbers. I'm not entirely sure. I don't think Evan Mobley should be being talked about more for the number one pick. That's my takeaway here. You look at his collection, he's elite in transition. He's very high-level isolation. He's elite as a pick-and-roll ball handler in limited times, but that limited times has actually shown to matter in, in the two years we've done this. His spot-up shooting is well above average, and he's a big man. He's an average catch-and-shoot overall. His unguarded catch-and-shoot's well above average, and he's borderline elite on jumpers off the bounce. His sample size is smaller, but in his unguarded catch-and-shoot, he actually took more and made more than Cade Cunningham. His 
overall catch and shoot than Cade Cunningham is they actually had the same amount of catch and shoot attempts Cunningham was 25 of 57 Mobley was 21 of 52 it's an image you know the uh more of of Cunningham's were threes but I I don't see any reason why Mobley can't stretch out my quick take on these numbers is that Evan Mobley uh, is really the real deal and should be looked at with great intensity. All right, that wraps up Locked on Jazz today. Thanks very much for tuning in. We'll continue these numbers throughout the week, and we'll get to our 30th picks in those range where the Jazz are. You also know more about the players in the draft coming up and which players maybe this, you want to see teams stay away from or you want some teams to draft because they don't want them. It's all continuing. By the way, the ultimate mock draft is coming your direction next week. That's our production with Odyssey. It's the ultimate mock draft with all of our uh, Jazz f- franchise players or excuse me our local experts making picks and you have to decide and here's what i would ask you i have the 30th pick of the draft do we really want it i've been offered three second round picks from the brooklyn nets two in the 40s one in the 50s and i've been offered two second round picks from the toronto raptors which would you take one of these deals get off the luxury tax of a 30th pick rather have two second round picks instead of one 30th pick that's basically a second round pick or do you hold at 30 give me your thoughts on that one i've got that on the table i've got to make a decision on it uh that's coming up uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow as well and get your thoughts on it it is locked on jazz part of the locked on podcast network